Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Welcome to Growth University. Really excited that you're here. Tonight we're kicking off a brand new series I'm excited about called Beyond Blessed. And we know the Bible says a lot about money and money is really important to us. And so we feel like it's a a great opportunity to look at what the Bible says about money, not just how it pertains to generosity and giving, but how money uh, is is entrusted to us to be used uh, in a way that pleases God, that we would be good stewards of the resources he's put in our hands. So I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to be a great way uh, for you to find some practical tools on not just uh, giving uh, of your money, but how are you handling your money in the day-to-day aspects of your life. I'm thankful to have Nathan Varnum partnering with me for this series. Uh, He's going to be teaching the next two lessons, and I'm really excited about that. He has a great wealth of experience as it pertains to finances. Uh, He is a man of generosity, a man of great stewardship, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear from him over the next couple weeks as we launch this series, Beyond Blessed. Uh, Looking forward to connecting with you this Sunday for Easter. It's going to be a great, great time, but I want to kick off this series and uh, welcome Nathan Varnum to teach tonight. In a way, it might have made sense to take up offering after we talk about stewardship. <laughs> but then I guess in a way, we never know who all still going to be hanging in here at the end of my lesson. So may as well get it out of the way now. While they're doing that, let's, uh, let's, let's take any needs we have to the Lord in prayer. I know this weekend is Easter, obviously, so um, have a lot of visitors on the campus during this time. So let's pray for some really good services, especially given that we're trying something different this year with the two services. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I see uh, Drew nodding. He's looking forward to this. <laughs> so uh, let's keep that. Let's pray about that. Let's pray for the TCA students who are traveling. They're safe. And uh, any unspoken, anyone have an unspoken request? Let's keep your hand, minds on those. Let's go to the Lord. Lord. God, we thank you for your time tonight. Boy, it's just so good to be with your people, to study your word. It's uh, it's always so refreshing in the middle of the week to be able to do this. It's great to be here. We ask you, Lord, to move on each of the needs we've mentioned this weekend. Lord, it's a a big weekend. There's going to be a lot of people here that really don't get to come a lot. And uh, help us just to show them love. Help us to show them the love that only comes from you. Help us to be welcoming Help us to show them a place that they want to belong to. Lord, be with us as we can help your, uh, allow your spirit to move freely. God, those that are traveling, the, uh, the TCA students that are traveling, keep your hands on them. Keep them safe. Help them to continue to have a good time. And Lord, any other need that was raised, any hand that was raised, God, you only know what those needs are and how best to answer them. God, I ask you to reach into those lives and have your way. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm just going to 
start with a question. How many people in here would like to be stress-free? No anxiety. We got one. Oh, okay, a few others. All right, good, good. Bill, Bill, for one, would not like to be stress-free, I hear. So we'll continue to, anything you can do to stress Bill out, please feel free to do that. Um, you know, one thing that's a, a common stressor is finances. Um, there was a, a study that showed that 72% of the people in the study had, had some anxiety or stress about finances over the past 30 days. Now, if you think about that, that's pretty astonishing. I mean, you know, let's say you leave here and, and, you, and you're in a hurry to go somewhere and you've got to stop at Kroger and you're in a big hurry and you're worried that you may not get a close enough parking spot. So you're, you're anxious about whether you're going to find a parking spot quickly. 30 days from now, somebody says, hey, what have you been worried about this last 30 days? Are you likely to say, well, I worried about a parking spot? Probably not. If you work downtown and every day you went downtown, it was a pain to find a parking spot, then maybe you would say, yeah, I worry about parking spots. But we don't, we don't, somebody asks us, what are you worrying about? You don't, you don't mention every little thing that just popped in your head. You mention those things that you really stew about, that really get at you, that keep you up at night. And 72% of people asked said, yeah, finances, they've kept me up at night. They've had me really worried. And it's not about the quantity of money. More money doesn't take away the stress. Yeah, and I know I'm seeing nods. And I also know that every one of you who are nodding are probably thinking to yourselves, yeah, but in my case, if I just had a little bit more money, I, I'm pretty sure it would work out, Nathan. But the reality is, it is not more money. I'm promising you that. It was uh, 2013 Time Magazine and 2016 Forbes Magazine. They did separate studies of people who had gotten windfalls, mostly lottery winners, but gotten windfalls, to see what, you know, what had happened with those folks. First of all, within a few years, 5% of them had declared bankruptcy, and we've, kinda, you know, we've all heard that um, before. But the really, uh, I think the interesting thing is that the significant majority of them said they were worse off than before they got the money. They, were, they felt alienated from their family and friends. They felt like they would have been better if they had never gotten the windfall. The significant majority. So, more money is not the answer. That does not relieve your stress as much as we kind of think it will when we look at our, when we look at our, our checkbook. So what does... What does relieve the stress? How do we, how do we have a stress-free, blessed life? That one word is stewardship. There you go. We can be dismissed. That's all it is. <laughs> it's only when we understand and live out stewardship that we can have a stress-free life. And, you know, I got I to gotta tell you, I'm, it's, it's challenging. I... I consider myself to be fairly knowledgeable in this area. I have taught lessons about this before. And when I was doing this, this, less, this study for this lesson, as Pastor Pasley would have said, I had my chicklets knocked out all over the place. I mean, there are so many things that I, I either 
know but haven't applied or just don't know yet. And it was, um, you know, to, to be a good steward, you have, to have, you have to have a plan. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you don't have a plan, you're not being a good steward. Okay? Just be aware of that. Regardless of whether, whether it's finances, whether it's your children, no matter what it is, if you don't have a plan, you're not, you're not being a good steward. But the challenge is, if you have a really good plan, and I have a really good plan financially, it is so tempting to allow that to become your comfort. I battle that all the time. My, my plan, my forecast, my budget, whatever, that's where I get my comfort. And that's not being a good steward either. So there's this, con- there's this battle that we constantly are having to wage and becoming and being a good steward. But boy, if we want to be stress-free, that's what we, that's what we need to, to, to grab hold of. So let's start just by saying, first of all, stewardship is not a choice. I want to make sure everyone understands that. So if we have the, um, the scriptures, I think we've given Psalm 24, 1. If you're going to be this, no, no, no scriptures? Okay. Well, you know what? You guys are just going to have to um, sit there while I go into my handy-dandy little uh, phone. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord, the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And then in Psalms 50, 10 through 11, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. I mean, God's taken out a pretty strong claim here that everything is his. That includes us. That includes us. So if, if we don't even own ourselves, what can we own? I mean, honestly, we own nothing. We are, we are owners of nothing, which means anything that we have in our, that we are, 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 have in our control is something we are stewarding, not something we are owning. So first of all, you have to understand that it doesn't matter whether you believe in stewardship or not. You are a steward. God has not given us that as a choice. We are stewards, not owners. And really, you have to be able to understand that, and you have to accept that. If you can't accept that, then you're not going to be able to get, you're never going to be able to achieve good stewardship, which is where we, we finally get that blessed life. So, Stewardship is not a choice. Now, let's, let's read one of our... It's a passage that I think we, um, we all are pretty familiar with, and I think it's one of the more challenging passages in the, in the um, parables in the Bible. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and it's the parable of the talents. I think we're, again, most of us are familiar with this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, and he had made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the banker, so that I could have made interest on it. So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the, from, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, you know, I think that the um, kind of the takeaway here, if you if you want to. Want to know whether stewardship is a big deal? Well, in here, Jesus put stewardship right there with our salvation. Holy cow. I think he's saying it's a pretty big deal. Stewardship is a pretty big deal. So let's, let's, take, a, let's take a few lessons from this, um, the, from this parable. First of all, the money wasn't theirs. It says the master delivered his goods to them. They could do with it what they wanted. There were no specific instructions, but they were accountable to the master for what they had done. So it wasn't theirs; it was the master's. And I, you know, we we sometimes read these accounts, and and this is just a few lines. So yeah, it's pretty clear it wasn't theirs. But think about it from the perspective of the servants. The master was gone for it says for a long time on a long journey. Likely it was years. So. I'm one of these servants, I'm sitting here, and I got a big wad of money. I mean, a talent I think I've heard is, uh, was like a, a, a um, lifetime's worth of wages. So they, ha- they are rolling in this stuff. They have this master who has gone away, may never return. He's not very connected to them. Wouldn't there be an, a temptation to at some point kind of start thinking, of, this, is, this is mine? This is, this is my money? I mean, don't we kind of do that when, when God's not feeling particularly present, when, when, when we aren't feeling particularly connected to him? Isn't that our temptation to start thinking, well, it's, isn't this it's kind of mine? I can do with it what I want. But the money wasn't theirs. The money was the master's. The second point is he gave them according to their own ability. And, of course, if you think about that, that means he's, he's tested them before, you know? He knew their ability. He tried them out. He had sent them to the market. Hey, go make a deal on a rug. Go make a deal on a tent. You know, see, he's tested them and found that they were able to negotiate well. They managed their household finances well. So he knew that he could trust them with a larger sum. The third thing is we have to work with what we are given. It doesn't matter what the amount is. They all had significantly different amounts. We have to work with what we're given. You know, sometimes in our temp- we are tempted to work with what we have in our mar- in margin. And reality is, we live in a marginless society. 
none of us have margin. But that's what we try to work with in terms of stewarding for God. But what this parable says is, you work with what you got. It's kind of like, you know, let's say um, this farmer has worked it out, it's planting time, and he's kind of looked at his seed, and he's thinking about what they need to eat. And he says, you know what? We kind of need all this seed to be, just to be able to make the bread we're going to need to eat over this summer. I don't, I don't really have enough to plant. I, I, I need all this to eat. So then he goes out and he, and he tells God and says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and eat this. When I reap my harvest, then I'll have enough for planting. I mean, that, that's kind of insane, right? You can't reap a harvest if you don't plant. But isn't that kind of what we say sometimes when we say, man, I, I don't really have enough to, 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 to give to the missions. I don't really have enough to do this. When I get more, then I can do that. Well, isn't that being a farmer standing in an empty field? I, I, haven't, I haven't sowed anything but I expect to reap from God so that then I can sow into his kingdom. The reality is God always works in this agrarian mindset where we have to sow first. We have to work with what we are given now, not make plans for what may happen in the future. So whenever you find yourself thinking about thinking like that, just say to yourself, silly farmer. Plus that's what that guy was, he was a silly farmer. Next point, there is a day of reckoning. No matter how long it takes, there is a day of reckoning. The master did return, and he did expect them to be accountable for what they, have, they, they had stewarded. And we will be accountable someday for everything we've stewarded, our finances, our families, our time, ourselves. We will be accountable for that. The next point, and this is, wow, this one's a tough one. We have to produce not just refrain from squandering. I mean, you get that? None of those guys squandered what they'd gotten. None of them. It's just one guy just didn't produce. So what, what, what does that mean? We can't, you know, we, we think of squandering. So it's, it's wasting versus doing the bare minimum. We think if we don't waste, we're okay. God says, no, if you just do the bare minimum, you're not Okay. He said, it, it, you know, I think to me it's if we say, well, I don't spend time watching unwholesome TV, but then I don't take time to talk to others or to invest in the kingdom. Watching unwholesome TV is wasting my time. Not talking to others is just doing the bare minimum. I mean, I think the lesson is here, it's not enough to just not to just squander the resources and waste the resources. The lesson is we have to produce with the resources. That is, that's almost frightening. Yeah. So, and, and, and don't, don't get too nervous. I mean, I think the whole conclusion here is going to be a good one. So, <laughs> don't get too nervous. Because God is a patient God. That's one of the things, you know, I, I tend to speak in very... Uh, matter of fact, black and white terms, but please understand, man, I know better than anybody that God is very merciful. And I sometimes almost have to laugh at myself at how, how much I know, how, how much I know and how poorly I execute what I know. 
And I just thank God that he is so merciful. The next one is, God will increase the blessing to those who prove themselves. And this is another weird one to us. It's not about fairness. You know, and we, you've heard it said before, why didn't he give it to the one who did five, who had two and made four? Why didn't he give it to him? Why did he give it to the one who had the most? It, it's not about fairness. God has, owns everything. He's not interested in allocating something fairly to us. What he's interested in is getting resources into the hands of those who can produce. That's what he's interested in. He is interested in increasing his kingdom and production. And so he will give more to those who show that they can produce more. So it's not about fairness. And understand, and remember, it's not about the quantity of money. When I say that he's gonna, you're going to get more when you, when, when you have produced, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get more money. It, it manifests itself in a lot of ways. It can, you know, remember the, uh, the lottery winners, 5% of them were bank, went bankrupt, but most of them were unhappy. I mean, the reality is sometimes that more that we get is the comfort and the stressless life that we have. So those are some of the points, but how do we become a good steward? So, you know, I think we've accepted that, yeah, God says we're all good, you know, we're all stewards. And here's a a parable that kind of talks a little bit about what makes a good steward. How do we become a good steward? How do we determine? And we have to determine who we're going to serve. I don't know. Do you have the picture of the road? Yeah. Look at that. That is a road in Brazil called the Old Youngest Road. It's, it's like they call it the highway of death. Like 300 people a year die on that thing. I mean, because it's, it, is, it is a two-way road. You know, that's, I've, seen, I've seen other pictures where literally the, the, half the truck is hanging off the edge in order to, to, to get around. Um, I don't know if that section is two ways. It certainly doesn't look like it, but, you know. Anyway, it's, it's a really, it's, you should look it up sometimes, some pretty neat pictures, place I'd never want to go myself. Um, so, but there are places there where there's drop-offs on both sides, right? So, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a drop-off e- either way, and that's kind of the way, again, and my, my goal to frighten you to death, I'm telling you, stewardship is all about staying right in the middle or you're going to plummet to your death. I don't mean that. But, but there, there, are, there, are two, there are two pitfalls that we can go in either way. First of all, there's the prosperity materialism mindset. There's this, there's this feeling that, man, more stuff's going to make me happy. That's what our culture teaches us, frankly. More stuff is going to make me happy. I'll be happy when I have enough money to not have financial stress. I'll be happy... When I get that new boat, you know, my, my dream house would be perfect if I could just get that pool. <laughs> just slinging something at my wife real quick. There's that materialism mindset, this belief that things are going to make me happy. And, you know, for church, we, we do trying to, we sometimes dress it up. You know, we say stuff like, man, if I could just get a bigger house, then I would have room to be able to host a life group. Then I could host a life group. 
You know, anytime you find yourself saying, if I could just get then, if you ever see yourself saying that, if you ever say, boy, if I could just get blank then, then you are the farmer standing in the empty field. You're the silly farmer. So that's the prosperity materialism mindset. If we entertain desire for material things, then we are focused on the blessing, not on the blesser. We are worshiping the wrong God. So that's the issue with the materialism mindset. Then there's the other ditch that we can plummet to our death in, and that is the poverty mindset. And i got to say, this one's a little trickier because this one, there are almost some religious undertones about it. In fact, there are actually some religious sects that teach that asceticism is virtuous, um, I think Francis of Assisi in the 1300s taught that it was a virtue to be poor. Uh, you've, we've all heard of there's whole uh, groups where uh, monks take vows of poverty. There is this belief that poverty itself is a virtue. Um, it reminds me my, uh, when my uncle was building his house, and it wasn't a particularly big house. It was a nice house. It wasn't a particularly big house. My, my grandpa went... And uh, saw it when it was being built, and I still remember Mom when we were walking around in the uh, in it, and my my grandpa he, he talked like this, and he looked around. He said, "It's too much house, if you ask me." <laughs> it's too much house, if you ask me. There's that shame of having. That's that poverty mindset. It's a focus at, at its root. It's a belief that material things are inherently evil. That is at its root what this, material, what this poverty mindset is. And we sometimes have some of this belief in, in, in our, in some of this mindset in our beliefs. When, when you find yourself having have shame about things you own, or you find yourself having to justify the things you own, so, you know, maybe, well, you know, we... I didn't really want to build this bigger house, but, you know, I, we wanted to be able to have a life group and, and entertain and blah. So it's, it's feeling the need to justify. It's still the same thing. It's still a focus on the stuff. It's a focus on the blessing, not on the blesser. So if we believe that poverty is a virtue, then again, we are focused on the blessing we're not focused on the blesser. Now, I want to be clear about something. Simplifying your life, you know, eliminating stuff, that's not asceticism. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to say it's, it's bad to want a simple lifestyle and to not have a lot of possessions. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but having guilt at enjoying what God allows you to stewards, steward is also not what, um, God wants. In fact, if we look at 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He gives us this stuff to enjoy. So it's not his desire that we have shame about what we about the blessings that he's given us. So why is 
this such a challenge? Why do we have this challenge of staying on the in in this um, on the stewardship road? Well, I believe it's because there is a there is a spirit. You know, we we sometimes attribute a lot of a lot to to Satan, and we forget that at the end of the day, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent. He can't do all things. But what he's really good at, he's really good at understanding human nature. And he, he knows that inside us, God created us to worship him. God created us to worship. And so Satan knows if I just set some stuff up for them to worship instead of God, I got them. I don't have to have a demon for every person out there to, to, to get them. I just have to set up these things, that, and then they'll, they'll, they'll stumble themselves on it. And I think that's what he's done here. He's done a really good job of, of, help, of, of setting things up that we can worship in place of God. If we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24... Oh, this one is up there. No one can serve two masters, and this is Jesus speaking, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, of course, we know that in the King James Version, this, re- this is um, the word is mammon, and that's um, a word that it means riches, it means wealth. It comes from the Greek word, word mamanos. Now, in Mark 4.19, when Jesus warned about the deceitfulness of riches, it's not the same word he used there. He used the word plautos, I think it's pronounced, P-L-O-U-T-O-S. It's a different word. still means riches, but it's a different word. I believe that Jesus was using the word mamanos specifically in this context because the god, mammon, was also the Chaldean god, for riches, the Chaldean god of wealth. I think Jesus was making a point that there is a spirit here. There is a god. You're going to make a god out of something. Either I'm your god and you're going to worship me, or you're going to worship mammon, which is a god of riches. So mammon is a spirit that basically sets itself up to be god. It's a counterfeit to being a steward for god. In materialism, if you, when we say we make sacrifices to pursue wealth, your wealth will be a sign that God is pleased, pleased with you. That's, not, that's, not being, that's, that's worshiping materialism. If we say all of your rewards are in heaven, wealthy Christians, you know what? They got wealthy by sacrificing. They have not been sitting at the feet of Jesus. Then we have that poverty mindset, and we're worshiping at the wrong place where we've set up a counterfeit God. Either attitude shows us taking our eyes off of God and investing our trust and our focus on things, on ourselves and material things. We are effectively putting idols up before God. So that's why I think sometimes it's so hard for us to stay on the stewardship model because it, it, is, a, it is a war in our spirits. And stewardship doesn't just apply to finances. It per, should pervade every part of our life. You know, we, we think of stewardship, we think in terms of money, but 
You know, it, it's, it's everything about us. It's our children, and it, it's, it's, it's our time. And I, I remember, um, you know, realizing one time, if you borrow somebody's lawnmower, and you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower, and you are using their lawnmower to mow your yard, you tend to take a little bit better care of it than you do your own. You know, when you're going around the, the tree, you don't bang it against the tree like you may do it when you're, you know, you carefully go around because it's not yours. You're using somebody else's stuff. You take better care. So it's the same thing. If you view your children as yours, then you may not take as good a care of them as if you view them as God's. When you view them as belong, view this stuff as belonging to God, then you are more likely to take better care of them than if you see it as your own. So, we've talked a lot about stewardship. Hopefully, hopefully some of this you know, was, was meaningful. But I want to come back to this, you know, why is, why, so why is this a way to, be, to have a stress-free life? Okay, I, I, I get it. Stewardship's not an option. I get it. And yes, I see what you're saying about being a good steward versus being a bad steward. And I understand that it's a, it's a, it's a, um, uh, it, it's a spiritual battle. But, you know, why, why am I saying that this is what relieves stress? Well, you know, I, let's just, let's pretend for a moment that a company, a large company, let's say Microsoft. Let's say Microsoft tells you, you know what? I want you to go into this new market, and I want you to set up this new market for us. I want you to hire the right people. I want you to find some, of the, some property that we can rent. I want you to get the equipment we're going to need. I want you to open up this market for us. Great. But then they say, but you know what? I, you, you need to do all this with your own money. You need, to, you, know, this, you need to use your finances to get this done. How many of us are going to f- be very comfortable with that? If we were doing it, are we going to feel a little bit of stress about that? I think we are. But what if Microsoft says, okay, you're going to do all this, and you know what? You got, you got our full backing. We'll write every check you have. Don't worry about it. You just get things set up. We'll take care of the finances. Are you going to have very much stress? No. See, that's the thing. When we think we are the owner of what we have, there is immediately limited resources. I know what I make. I know what, what I have in the bank, and there are limits to those resources. And anytime there are limits, and we see all of these things, these bad things that can happen, we start feeling stress. We start thinking, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I got the, I'm going to have this bill coming up, or I got two more weddings to pay for someday. Or I got colleges to pay for. You have all these things that you have to pay for, and so you start, you start stressing because, you know, I... I know what I have, and I don't have enough. But if you, if you remember, wait, 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 wait. I don't have anything. God gave me these children. He's got to provide. He, they're, they're, they're his children. He's gonna, it's his resources that have to be used. Do you, do you kind of start seeing how you can have an absolute stress-free life? If you can realize that you're not limited to what you have, you're limited to what God has. You know what that we read that scripture, he has a cattle on a thousand hills. And again, we, we, we read these things and we kind of gloss over it, but you know, you think about that. 
a cattle on a thousand hills. If if if, if back in biblical days, if a if a man was going to to court a woman and the father was at wanting to find out how wealthy they were, he would have said, "Hey, how many how many cows do you have? You have you have a few cows, five ten maybe." And and if that man said, "Well, I see that hill over there. I own every cow on that hill." Well, that father would be like, oh, pretty well off. And then if you said, but, but see the hill next to it, I own all the cattle on that one also. Now the father is like, oh my, you are really rich. I mean, that's got to be several hundred cattle you own. And then if I say, actually there are 998 more mountain hills just like that, and I own the cows on every one of them. At that point, the father doesn't even think anymore. He doesn't even comprehend it. It doesn't even make sense. It's, it's not fathomable. And that's the way God's resources are. We can't even think about it. We can't even fathom them. He owns the cattle. On, he, he owns everything. And that is who our resource is. If we can tap into that, if we can understand that it's God that provides, that it's God that is writing the check, that it's God that's doing all these things. My goodness, can that be a relief? And you know what? It, it, it's a struggle. I still struggle. I, I, you know, as I said, I, I feel like I, I, un, I understand this. I've done a lot of study over the years, and I still struggle with it. I still, I still look at my, you know, the challenges I have, and I, and I get worried, and my wife could tell you, I, I get that I update finances on those Saturday mornings, and she hates it because I'm going to get all grumpy and testy because she's spending like a drunken sailor, and I don't, you know. <laughs> and I get I get all stewy, and I, you know, I'm like ah, because I forget, I forget that it's not me, I forget that it's not dependent on me, and so I have this anxiety and this stress, and really, I have a father up there who's saying, you know what, I, I got it. I got it. Don't worry about it. You be a good steward. You produce. You work with what you have. You produce with what you have. And don't worry about whether you're going to have enough. Because, you know what, I, I, I got it taken care of. So, if you want to have a stress-free life, then you really need to understand stewardship and really embrace stewardship and think about it. I mean, again, any time you're starting to think, man, when... If I can just get, then we'll remember, okay, I'm being a silly farmer. I, 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 can't, I can't harvest out of a field that I haven't sown in. You know, really, really think about this. And, man, it can be a blessing. Now we have this apps thing. So to your neighbor, talk a little bit about, um, you know, this, this road that we talked about. Where, where, where are you susceptible? What do you struggle with? And we all have, we all, you know what, every one of us, we have a leaning one way or the other. Do you struggle more with that poverty mindset where you have a little bit of a, a, a shame? Or do you struggle more with the uh, materialism where you just want to get more? So let's all stand. Let's dismiss in prayer. Lord, 
Thanks, God, for letting us be here tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sharing this, God. It's, uh, there are some things that are pretty challenging in it. It's not, it's not easy. It's just like everything else. We have to continue to practice. We have to continue to take it to you. You'll forgive us as many times as we mess up because we will mess up, and I thank you so much for that. Lord, do I thank you for your mercy. Help us, God, to take this with us. Help us, Lord, to continue to strive to be good stewards so that we can have a, a blessed life and have a, care, a, 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 a um, stress-free life. In your name we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.